0: Hey, before we get going, we got a bit of family business to do. Lieutenant Baker, why don't you come up here? Summer, come up to you. Everyone say hello to Garrett. Garrett. This is uh, Garrett's last official Sunday with us. Summer's going to be with us a little bit longer. Uh, Yeah, these are really special people to us. And uh, Garrett is about to begin his military service in earnest. And uh, tell everybody where they're sending you. Uh, well, first I'll be in Arizona for about four months. Then I'm going to be in Georgia for another three weeks to learn how to jump out of airplanes. And then uh, I'll be in Alaska. Yeah. So if you've ever wanted to go to Alaska, and we do, here's some people that you... that Everyone's going to come stay with you. How does that sound? Isn't that great? Yeah. No, this is one of the truly terrible things about church, is that there are people that you really like occasionally and, and then they end up going away. And uh, Garrett has been incredibly, uh, he's just one of our favorite people. And uh, this is a power team in case you all didn't know. Everybody who's in the room who does know, knows that this is a power team. And this is, um, this is ultimately uh, a loss for our church, but uh, we, we, we we know that it's a win for the kingdom and that God is putting you in a new spot. So uh, we want to pray for them. Why don't you just, uh, We're going to go full charismatic here for about two and a half minutes. Just put your hand out toward them. (laughs) Even if you've never done a charismatic thing in your life, this is your chance. Here we go. Father, thanks for Garrett and thanks for Summer. Father, thanks for all the ways that you've led them. Father, thanks for a new mission. Father, thanks for the fact that your gifts and callings are bigger than church buildings and that they even go to places like the military father we ask right now that that the call that you have put on garrett's life to be a shepherd and to be a pastor and to love your word and to be a strength to young men around him and even a voice of wisdom to older men above him. God, we 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 appreciate that, God, and we ask that there would be just a new release of your gift and your work by the Holy Spirit in Garrett's life. Father, we ask that you would anoint summer as well, God. Um, just in these next few months, that are going to be presumably difficult. God, I ask that there would be a special grace on this marriage to endure. Father, also, we ask that uh, in Arizona, in Georgia, and in Alaska, there would be opportunities to minister. God, that there would be favor on Garrett's life and on Summer's life, that the, all, the do- all the doors above would be wide open. And we ask it in your name, Father. Amen. 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 Hey, guys, give, uh, give Garrett a big hug before you leave today, okay? For real. Amen. Good work. Good work. I hate that. <laughs> I do. I totally hate it. Like, Garrett's one of my favorite people. Uh-oh. Awesome, guys. Hey, open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. This is our last sermon in our Fruitful Life series. We're going to look at a few verses this week that we've yet to get to. I feel like the Lord has a word for us. While you're turning, I want to just review the previous three weeks really quickly. We've been talking about living a fruitful life. What is a a fruitful life in the kingdom? And the first thing that we saw is that a fruitful life in the kingdom is ultimately a life that's aware of God. That's what we saw in Psalm 127. It's not just working in your own strength, but it's living aware of God and aware of the fact that He is, in fact, doing things, and He is, in fact, on the move, and that He is, in fact, at work in the world the beginning of a fruitful life is essentially really simple it's just god awareness the second thing that we saw in this series and it's from john chapter 15 that a fruitful life begins when you and i know our role and jesus gives us uh the roles in john chapter 1 john chapter 15 verse 1 when he says I'm the true vine. He's talking about himself. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser and you and I are the branches. So when Jesus says that my father is the vine dresser, what he's saying is he's saying that my father is the one who's in charge of the vineyard. He's in charge. He sees it all and he's the one who's who's in charge of it being healthy, meaning it's not my job or your job to ensure that the vineyard is healthy. That's the father's work. Not only that, but When Jesus says that his father is the vine dresser, he's the guy who's going to prune the vineyard. And ultimately what that means is that the father is the decider. The father's the one who's going to decide who's in and who's out. The father's going to decide who gets pruned and who gets cut and who gets disciplined and how and where that happens. That means that you and I are not the ultimate decider on who's in or who's out. Who gets pruned and how they get pruned. That's all father work. We can let go of that. Amen? Let's just say that. I'm going to let go of it. That's one we've got to let go of. If you've been on Facebook for any period of time, you know that Facebook is filled with Christians who are engaged in father work, deciding who's in, who's out, who's got it right, who's got it wrong, who should get pruned, and how they should get pruned, and how many times they should get pruned. There's all of this father work happening. And if you and I engage in father work, it limits our ability to be fruitful in the kingdom. Because... The Father is the Father. He's the vine dresser. And Jesus says that He's the true vine. And when Jesus says that He's the true vine, what He's really saying is that I'm the source of life. Implication being, you're not the source of life and neither am I. I hear the kids band. They're rocking this morning. That's good. That's a good sound. Jesus is the true vine. He's the source of life. That means that you and I can't be the source of life for every person that we meet. You know? The truth is... Uh, The truth is, there's only one person who can give people what they really need, and it's the Lord Jesus. And if if we're running around trying to fix, if we're running around trying to give people that essential thing, it will just wear you out. So much of Christian fatigue is you and I trying to do father work or Jesus' vine work of being the source of life when all he's called us to be is branches. And here's what branches do. They receive the life of God. That's what branches do. That's it. They receive the life of God. They, they allow Jesus to be their source and they just they receive what he's giving. It's receiving the life of God, which is freely given and not trying to be the source. Um, I was reading some Eugene Peterson and he, he says something that really speaks to this idea of, of your job and my job is just to be the branches and that being the branches is enough. This is what Eugene Peterson says. By the way, he's the pastor who wrote the message. Maybe some of you guys have the message Bible. He's the pastor who developed that. And this is what Eugene Peterson says. He says, That most elemental sin which grips a human heart is rooted in trying to be God. As if being human, really human, weren't good or high enough. Right? It's, it's enough to be the branches. It's enough for you to be a human being. If you're trying to be God, you're going to ruin your life. Ultimately, that's what led Adam and Eve into such trouble. Trying to be God. Not really believing that it was enough to be a person. That's it. Knowing your role. The fruitful life begins when you know your role. You're not God. You're not the Father. You're not Jesus. You're not the source. You're a branch. Receive the life of God. And then last week we looked at the fact that A fruitful life is a life that's awake to the love of God. And I want to read just a few verses here again because we can never talk about this enough. If there's one deception that's alive in the church, has always been alive in the church, it's this deception where you and I don't really believe that we're loved by God. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, so verse 4, Jesus says, Your branch, I'm the vine. If you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Which leads to the question, What does abiding in Jesus mean? Well, he answers it in verse 9. So you can flip over, maybe. Maybe it's on the same page. I had to flip in my Bible. I had to flip one page. In verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, what it means to abide in Jesus is really simple. It means to live in His love. It means to live with an awareness of His love. The fruitful life, the kind that is a pleasure to everyone that's around you, is one that's rooted in knowing that you know that you know that you're loved by God. You really, really know that you're loved by God. Why don't you say this with me? I'm loved. I'm totally, totally loved. All the time, whether I'm weak weak, Whether I'm strong, whether I get it, or whether I don't get it, it it is inconsequential. The truth remains, every person in this room and every person who was here in the early service and every person who's going to Walmart, those poor people who are going to Walmart (laughs) right now, they're profoundly and deeply loved by God right now. The trouble is, few of us are aware of it. And the fruitful life is being aware that you're loved by God. Now, today what I want to talk about is, I want to actually talk about the fruit that appears in a fruitful life. The fruit that appears in a fruitful life. Before we do that, I want to read just a little scripture to you out of John 15, some of the verses that we never really got to over the last few weeks. We'll start with some we did. We'll start in verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you are my friends This morning I want to talk about the fruit that is evident in a fruitful life. There's actually more in these few verses than I'm, that I'm going to be able to get to. There's several different kinds of fruit that Jesus makes mention of, points to, and hints at. And we're not going to get to all of them. We're just going to look at three different kinds of fruit that show up in the life of, of a disciple. And, and the first fruit that shows up in the life of a disciple is joyful obedience, which is displayed as loving others. Now the truth is, obedience is a part of the fruit of knowing that you're loved by God. I don't really have time to go into all that this morning. We talked a little bit about it last week. But obedience is always springing out of knowing that I'm profoundly loved by God. Profoundly loved. And this joyful obedience that Jesus talks about, in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This joyful obedience looks like loving one another. So Jesus connects abiding in his love to following his commands. Hope we see that. Jesus connects this idea of abiding in his love to following his commands. And when Jesus is saying, follow my commands, all, everything that Jesus has said to his disciples over the past three years is in view here, okay? Everything. All the Sermon on the Mount stuff, all the quiet nights around the campfire, everything that Jesus has taught is in view. But there's one singular thing that he's really focusing in on, and it it is loving one another. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is my commandment, that you love one another. If you have your Bible open this morning, you can actually flip your Bible back a page or two to John chapter 13. Look at verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, the reason I wanted you to flip back is this, because what Jesus is saying about loving one another in John chapter 13... All of this is one long setting. It's the Last Supper. Jesus is gathering with his disciples right before he's going to be betrayed and crucified on the cross. And he begins to say, hey, guys, this is what's really important. I want you to love one another. And all of this, all the way through John chapter 15 and, and 16, all one long sitting. And in, a, in just a short amount of time here, Jesus has reiterated over and over again, hey, the fruitful life is one that looks like you guys obeying my commands, and my command to you, if I could put it up in one way, is this love one another. So, what is, what is the fruitful life? The fruitful life is, is one where you and I are, are loving other people. That is the fruitful life. And if you look at any of Jesus' other commands, look at everything in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it, almost every single thing he says is relational. If you do the things that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it will help you love people. Don't be angry. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to be loving and kind to people who are not angry? It helps, right? Anger doesn't help. So, everything Jesus is saying is pulling us into this moment and making us a certain kind of disciple. So, the obedience that Jesus is looking for from me and for you this morning is that we would love one another. It's the fruit that gets put on display. And here's the good news this morning. The good news for you and I when it comes to loving one another is this. It's actually possible. I know as soon as I start talking about loving one another, everyone in the room probably thinks of the three people they want to strangle. And I get that. People are difficult. People are difficult. But the good news this morning is is that it's actually possible to love other people. It's actually possible to love other people. Uh, There's a couple reasons why it's possible to love other people. And the first reason it's possible is because you and I are loved. That's what Jesus says. Just like the fathers loved me, I love you. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. So I want you, everybody, to imagine that true vine coming up out of the ground again. And this vine goes up, and then it runs right and left. Big, thick, healthy vine. And then off of that vine are all these branches. That's the image that Jesus is giving. And he says, just like the fathers loved me, that's how I love you. And the reason why it's possible for you and I to love other people is because we're profoundly loved. We actually have it at our disposal. Every single branch on the vine is being given life by the same root. Does this make sense? So here, here's the deal. Whether you know it or not, whether you, whether you even feel it or not, the truth is you're a branch and I'm a branch And you and I are getting our life from the same true vine, and the life that we're receiving from God is the love of God. It's possible to love other people because you're loved. You actually have it at your disposal. And the second reason that it's possible is because (laughs) Jesus not only loves you, and He not only loves me, but He loves everyone else in the room. Jesus loves all the branches. He's giving His life to every one of those branches. Every single branch is... Being held in his affections, and one of the things i 've found is is that it isn 't it just it just isn't expedient for you or I to be bitter or angry at other branches that jesus loves it 's possible it 's possible we have we have love at our disposal, not only that, but Jesus loves the, those other branches, and it just doesn 't work out well for you and I to be angry at branches that Jesus loves, and so for that reason. Love is possible because I'm loved. Love is required because you're loved. And then love is natural because you and I are connected to the vine. Have you ever met a branch that was having a hard time being a branch? Not a person. I'm talking about like go out and look, a tree, look at a tree. You ever seen a tree that had a branch that was hard, having a hard time being a branch? You, you really don't find branches that are having a hard time being a branch. You know why? Because it's just, they're just, it's just natural. They're just growing. They're just growing. That's what life in God is like. His love is actual, actual, it is real, it's profound, it is abundant, it is available. And you and I can be branches that are not trying, but we're just receiving. We can grow. Yet, if you're anything like me, you and I oftentimes have struggles when it comes to obeying this command of Jesus to love other people. We have, we have a hard time sometimes loving and probably the number one reason that you and I have when it comes to being troubled with loving other people is, is just our own insecurities. I'd say insecurity is probably the number one barrier to operating in Jesus' kind of love, living a laid-down life. It's it's just our own insecurity. It's It's this little video. It's this little thing that runs in the back of our heads it's this fear that rests on our hearts that God he could love the world he could love Kimbra but he probably doesn't love me and if you believe that God loves the world and that he loves Kimbra but it's but his love has never made it to that spot in your own life where you know that you know that you're loved by God you will live out of insecurity and in your in, and your insecurity will manifest as mostly an inability to love other people See, if I'm totally held by the love of God, I don't have to take from other people. Jesus says, no one has a greater love than this, than to lay down your life for someone else. How many of you understand that a laid down life is not a taking life, it's a giving life, right? If I'm completely held in the love of God, I can let go of insecurities and I don't have to take, I don't have to worry about taking all the time, I can begin to relax and and give. Ever been around someone... And no matter what came out of their mouth, no matter how nice or kind it seemed to be, there was just this spirit around the interaction. It felt like they're just trying to take something from me. You're dealing with an insecure person. You're dealing with an insecure person. And their insecurity ultimately rests in the fact that they don't really know they're loved by God. They don't really, really know that yet. If I'm totally held by the love of God, my security doesn't rest on others' acceptance or their rejection. Did you know that it's possible to love people who who have rejected you? It's actually possible to love people who have rejected you. The reason it's possible is because you're a branch connected to the vine of love. It's animating your life. And he loves all the other branches. You have love at your disposal. And it can become such a profound reality in your life that insecurity melts away. And even if someone rejects me, I still have at my disposal an ability to be kind and good and righteous to them. It's possible. If I'm totally held by the love of God, then to love someone else doesn't mean that I'm diminished. Insecurity always says that if I give away to someone else, I'm diminished in the process. I can step into Jesus' kind of love, the kingdom kind of love, which is a laid down life. Insecurity says to me and you, it says if you lay down your life, you'll be insignificant and you'll be forgotten and your life will be wasted. You'll be insignificant, you'll be forgotten, and your life will be wasted. That's what insecurity always tries to convince you and me. If you, if you lay down your life and you give up so that someone else can be blessed, that you're going to be forgotten in the, in the process. Insecurity says that you should grab. Insecurity says that you should take and that you should protect turf and that you should try to make a name for yourself. All of the impulses and all of the desires that you have to make a name for yourself, to grab hold of, and to be territorial are all manifestations of insecurity, which are all rooted in not really knowing that you're loved by God. Anyone ever, anyone have anybody that you work with who's real territorial? Like really territorial? Doesn't share credit? Where's that coming from? What you're dealing with is you're dealing with a branch that doesn't know they're profoundly loved by God. That's all that is. Insecurity says, grab, take, protect your turf, and make a name for yourself. But kingdom love says, give away, serve, step in, and make a name for others. And it's impossible to lay down your life for other people if you don't trust God. And it's impossible to trust if you don't know that you're loved. You know, we spend a lot of time in church talking about trust God. Listen, you're never going to trust God if you don't first know that you're really loved. And you're never going to live a laid down life until you know that you can trust God. Until Until you can trust him that if I laid down my life and make a name for someone else if i serve someone else it doesn't mean i'm diminished and it doesn't mean i'll be forgotten my favorite example of this kind of of love is uh Jonathan and David i want to put a scripture up this is one of my favorite passages in the bible it's out of 1 samuel chapter 18 before we read it i want to um i want to set this up for you just so that you remember what happens here Uh, By 1 Samuel 18, Saul, the king, has been rejected. He still is in power, but he's been rejected by the Lord, okay? Uh, Not only that, but Jonathan is Saul's firstborn son. And if you're a firstborn son of the king, what does that mean? You're next in line, right? Jonathan is next in line. He's got the position. But the trouble is, David... A shepherd from the middle of nowhere has been anointed as God's chosen to rule Israel. And this is what happens. They become friends. Start in verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Now we can read that and a lot of the significance is lost on us until we understand that when Jonathan took his robe off and gave it to David, what he was really doing was giving him the kingdom. It was a picture. I want to show you 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is after Saul has been rejected and the prophet Samuel comes to him and they have an interaction. Look at what it says, verse 27. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this very day and has given it to one of your neighbors who is better than you. What is the the scripture telling us about the robe here? The robe represents the kingdom, right? Alright, then also, if you remember the life of David, do you remember when he was on the run from Saul? Saul? And he's hiding in a cave with some of his men and King Saul is hunting him. And King Saul comes in to use the bathroom and he's squatting down and David sneaks up from behind him. And what does David do? Cuts the corner of his robe off. And when he did that, David's own heart was smited for what he had done because he knew that he wasn't just cutting a piece of fabric, but that he was actually beginning to lay hold of the kingdom. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 18. So when Jonathan looks at David, the very David that he could have seen as his competition. I want you to see this. Jonathan was next in line. David had been anointed and Jonathan gives him his robe. What he's saying is, David, I give you the kingdom. And when he gives him his armor and his sword, he's saying, David, I give you my protection and my loyalty. You all see that? Now, what kind of person could lay down their life like Jonathan did for David. What kind of person? What kind of person? The only kind of person who can do that is a person who really knows that they're profoundly and deeply loved and that ultimately their care comes from the Lord. If you, if you take Jonathan and you set him against his father Saul, they're so completely different. Jonathan is so secure in the love of the Father. Saul, so insecure, right? As soon as David's anointed, every insecurity in Saul just starts going crazy and Saul starts throwing spears trying to kill David. Jonathan is saying, here, here's my sword. Not only that, but you can have my kingdom. You can have my position because I see the anointing on you. See, there's no no David in the kingdom until there's a Jonathan. And a lot of us in the room think that we're Davids, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, you probably will never get to walk in your David calling until you learn how to be a Jonathan. Can you lay down your life? Jesus says, Love one another. This is the command I give you. And the fruit of the kingdom is in being able to love one another, and it's a particular kind of love. It's a love that is so secure that to serve someone else doesn't mean that I'm diminished. Jo- Jonathan will never be forgotten. Jonathan will never be forgotten and no one can tell the story of David without mentioning Jonathan. It's impossible. It's impossible. I'm convinced that in heaven that Jonathan has a place that's like right next to David and that Jonathan is one of the most famous people in heaven. Like people are like, that guy. Like it was his job and he gave it up just because he saw the anointing on someone else. Isn't that, that, that wrecks my heart. The fruitful life is one that is soaked in the love of the Father and is able to love other people. It's possible and we can let go of our insecurities and begin to lay our life down for others. The second manifestation of the fruitful life that we see here in the Scripture is friendship with God. Jesus says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Friendship with God. God's love grows friendship in our lives. And there are a few things that are as precious to people as friendship. Friendship. Does everybody in the room have like a really great friend? Everybody have a, like a really great friend? Yeah. I want you to consider how much of the joy, like just that effervescent joy, there is in life that is rooted in having a friend. Having so much of the joy in life is directly connected to friendship, and. God's love never stays God's love. It always eventually grows into the life of the disciple who's aware that he's loved. It eventually grows into this thing where you you are not only aware that God loves you, but that he likes you. And that's a different thing altogether. The spiritual journey uh, sort of goes like this. It is the awakening to God. Um, at some point in your life, you wake up to the fact that there is a God and that he, He's present. And then you wake up to the fact that God loves the world and that He loves other people. And eventually, you wake up to the fact that God loves you. And when you wake up to the fact that God loves you, you are well into the spiritual journey. However, it doesn't end there. There's another level. And the next level of journeying with Jesus is finding out that God not only loves you, but that He likes you. It's friendship. I actually believe that friendship is a higher revelation for the life of a disciple than, it, than the love of God is. The love of God will lead you to realizing that you're actually liked by the Lord. God not only loves you, but He likes you. And the reason it's a higher revelation is because friendship is, is not about simple pity or charity. See, a lot of times we will do things out of a place of love that that manifests as charity or pity. We'll take pity on someone because we have a heart of love or we have a heart of compassion, right? Friendship Friendship is never based on pity or charity. Friendship is always based on a choice. Always. Always based on a choice first. How many of you have ever stopped at a stoplight and there's been a homeless guy and you just reached out the window and gave him 20 bucks? Anybody ever done that? I hope you have. If you haven't, I recommend it. When you do that, you're demonstrating God's kind of love and compassion for people. But how many of you understand you're really not the, the homeless guy's friend? Right? Friendship is, is based on choice. It's based on choice. It's based on the fact that we don't have to be friends. We don't have to be friends. And one of the things that Jesus says here in John chapter 15 is is that he has chosen me and you." Look at this. He says, verse 16, "You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you." One of the things that Jesus is getting at is this. It's is, is that God loves you, but he actually likes you and he's chosen you. He's choosing you because he likes there's just stuff about you that he likes. There's things about you that he likes. There are things that bring him joy. I don't know about you, but friendship is about laughter. I texted several people over the course of the week. Um, What do you do with your friends? And almost every response—I got a lot of different responses—but the most, um, the most common response that I got from every single person who texted me back was, uh, I, "I laugh with my friends." Anybody in here? And think about your friendships. Like, what do you mostly do with your friends? You just you just you just goof off, you tell jokes it 's like there's there 's this inside language with friendships, and it has a lot to do with laughter. Uh, some of you will remember this, some of you won 't, uh, and if you don 't it's totally cool but in, in the mid nineties there was sort of a a move of the spirit in in the church in in certain parts, and um, oftentimes in the middle of a meeting, somebody would just start laughing and i 'm not talking about a little bit of laughing i 'm talking about uncontrollable non stop n- Like, wreck the meeting laughing. Like, everyone just has to do a timeout. Anybody ever been in a meeting where somebody got touched by the Holy Spirit and began to laugh like a nutcase? I've not only been in the meeting, I did that. It's really embarrassing and awesome. (laughs) And I, I heard people say, Well, what's that about? Like, certain people, you know, like the super serious Christians would be like, What's up with the laughing? You know, it's sort of an indignant tone in there. What's up with the laughing? Well, here's what's up with the laughing. It was God telling the church, we're friends. That's what it was. Some people were like, I don't understand the laughing. And I was thinking, I don't understand the people who don't understand the laughing. (laughs) There are all kinds of supposed forms of spirituality in the world. And I'm here to tell you that if your form of spirituality, if your connection to Jesus has caused you to be an increasingly sober and serious person, you need to reconsider your connection to Jesus. Jesus says, I choose you. You're my friend. I don't just love you. I actually like you. And if we're friends, there's probably going to be some laughter and a whole lot of lightheartedness associated with it. One of the worst things that can happen is becoming this super intense like person who's trying to convince everyone by their seriousness how much they love god i've traveled quite a bit in the last six years to all kinds of different churches doing ministry here and there and occasionally i run into this stream which will go unnamed but there's this one prominent stream especially out there and they're no fun but they're so convinced that they love god the most and they, they, there's no joy and there's no laughter. I'm here to tell you, one of the ways that you can spot the real thing is is there joy and is there laughter? You'll know that you're dealing with a true disciple of Jesus who's been profoundly touched by the love of God when you meet someone who's increasingly lighthearted. A super somber, serious person. There's people, there are people who are convinced that they love God the most and when and like it'll be a normal conversation, you'll talk to them, and then when they begin to talk about God, they get more serious, and even the way they uh, say words changes. You think I'm joking. There's an entire movement out there, and I think it is really, really missed it on friendship with Jesus. And friendship adds this element of laughter. Not only that, but friendship means that I'm no longer a pity project for Jesus. That's what, that's what friendship really means. I'm no longer a pity project for Jesus. I've got issues, but my issues aren't the issue. I've got issues, but my issues aren't the issue. Uh, some of us are convinced that, like, you know... God loves us, but it's mostly like he just sort of tolerates us. God's not tolerating anyone. He's not tolerating anyone. And he knows you have issues, but your issues are not the issue. Like your issues actually don't keep you from being a pleasure to him. That's, that's part of what friendship means. Uh, friendship also means this, that when your issues do become an issue, he'll tell you. Uh, I have I have friends. I have some really really good friends. And one of the ways you know that you have a really good friend is when your friends know your issues. Does everybody in the room have people who know your issues? And I'm not even talking about your husband or your or your or your wife, but someone else who knows your issues. Everybody have that? Yeah, I have a, I have several friends in my life and they know my issues. And they don't know my my like, you know, they don't know my petty issues like, well, I didn't read the Bible this week. Oh. <laughs> not, I'm talking about the real issues. Guys, <laughs> I didn't pray two hours today. Please forgive me. Not that stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. And my issues are not an issue with them being my friend. Yeah, all of my friends know my stuff and none of my stuff keeps us from being friends. And then if my stuff becomes an issue, they let me know. There's like this point. It's like it can get up to this point and then once it gets to that point, then somebody pumps the brakes. So a few weeks ago, I was talking to one of my good buddies and we're chatting on the phone and I I tell him I have this idea. I think I'm going to do this this year. I'm going to do this and that and thus and such. I let him know my plans. He didn't really say anything. He knows my issues. Three weeks later, I get an email from him. Hey, that thing you mentioned. Yeah, you should probably not do that. Why don't you pump the brakes on that? He he writes me three paragraphs. I just send him a one-line response back. You're totally right. That's what friendship is. And friendship is a part of the fruit of being connected to the love of God. And the third thing I want to talk about this morning from the text, a third kind of fruit that grows out of knowing that you're deeply loved by God is in verse 15. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Part of the fruit of being connected to the love of God and being his friend results in what we might call heavenly knowledge, divine insight, or heaven's perspective. The, the more you know Jesus and the more you become his friend, the more he begins to tell you things that you just didn't know. Uh, There are things that are in the heart of God which He is only speaking to friends. There is a a kind of insight and there's a kind of wisdom uh, that God is only sharing with His closest companions. Jesus says, But all that I've heard with the Father I've made known to you. A fruitful life is a life that's filled with revelation. Uh, It's filled with insight. It's filled with perspective. And they all flow out of uh, out of friendship with God. Uh, have you ever met someone who um, who it just seemed like everything they said w- had weight to it? Like you ever met that person, especially like somebody who's been walking with Jesus? And um, it, it's weird. Like you just get around them and they're like Yoda, right? You ever anybody have a Yoda? Yeah, there are Yodas in the world. I've met a few of them. They just have insight. It's like you can, you can talk about something and they're like, oh, you're making this, well, stop, just time out. Like, what about this? And like, where did you, where did that come from? They're like, well, you know, this is just how the Father is. You know, he's spoken it to me. And you're like, that's amazing. Where did that come from? Well, it came out of friendship. There's, there is, there, the life of insight and wisdom and understanding and revelation and knowledge, heaven's perspective, uh, weight, words that make sense, things that work in actual life that comes from being a friend of Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the father has secrets and he's telling them. The father has secrets and he's telling them. How many of you, how many of you tell your secrets to your friends? Right? Everybody in, everybody in the room has secrets. Let's just get this straight here just real quick. Every one of you has a secret or two. And a secret that's untold will eat you alive. Right? Well, the Father has secrets. Only thing is, none of the Father's secrets are deep or dark. They're light and full of life. And he's telling them to his friends. One of my favorite scriptures is in the book of Amos. It's chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Surely the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. If you ever meet a really prophetic person, all you've really met is a person who's a friend of Jesus. Like sometimes we're like, man, I want to be real prophetic. I want to have insight. And we're like trying to like do prophetic things and you just end up looking like an idiot. Like whatever you do, don't ever try to do prophetic things. Stop it. Like don't ever try to do a prophetic thing. Just be a friend of Jesus and prophetic stuff will be all around you. Like, don't try to be an insightful person. Twitter is filled with people trying to be insight, insightful. It's awful. It's, it's, it's an abomination. <laughs> be a friend of Jesus. You'll be incredibly insightful. You, you, can't, you can't get perspective by trying to go and get perspective. You can only get perspective by trying to be a friend of Jesus. God tends to tell his secrets to his friends. Prophetic people are just friendship people. I do want to say this, though. That if our friendship with Jesus begins to yield insight and revelation, and by the way, it will, and if that revelation or insight causes us To receive an us versus them spirit, we need to pump the brakes. I've seen this over and over, especially with prophetic people or people who, who have received insight from the Lord. People receive prophetic insight and they receive revelation by friendship with Jesus. However, it's possible to lose connection in terms of friendship with God in the slightest way and the next thing you know you've got a pile of insight and revelation and it's becoming an us versus them dynamic. I, I would like to speak even more honestly about this but I'm just not going to because I don't know how to speak it without calling names and I don't want to do that. But I want to tell you that there are there are people in Jesus' church and there are um, even movements who have a lot of insight but they are carrying an us versus them spirit with them and it actually makes them essentially gnostic. Now, gnostic is just sort of like this fancy ten dollars Bible scholar word, which means like hidden secrets. Like the few of us, like a few of us, have hidden special knowledge, super spiritual stuff, and like you kind of have to get with our program in order to be on the level. Anybody ever tried to make you feel insignificant by what they know? Yeah, you're dealing with somebody who's not walking in friendship with Jesus. You want to pump the brakes there um a gnostic spirit a gnostic spirit of insight is almost always usually obsessed with being served rather than laying down their life Uh, and all insight that jesus gives in friendship is meant to build the body up and all of the insight that we receive from jesus is always in part so you become a friend with jesus john is a friend with jesus and because john and jesus are friends uh, Jesus is going to tell John some secrets, and when John gets some secrets, uh, they're real secrets. But the thing that John's got to know is they're—it's they're, just part of it, and he's given like other parts to everybody else in this room. Like, but one of the things that happens is sometimes we become friends and we get a little insight, and we get a little knowledge, and then we want to use our knowledge to make other people serve us rather than being a building up, edifying, lay down my life for everybody else in the body person. And something really weird starts happening. And some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's okay, because there's a really good chance you're going to meet this really weird thing at some point in your life, and I want you to remember this morning. Run away from that. Okay? Run away from that. Some of you have experienced you're like, yeah, I know what that is. That's weird. Get away from me. Yeah, it is, it's, it's, it's people who think their peace is everything. It's people who don't want to lay down their life but want you to like come and serve them because they've got the secret. It's people who want to propagate an us versus them mindset and worldview based upon their connection with God. All of that is anti-gospel. None of that's the real thing. The real thing is friendship with Jesus that is humble and wants to lay its life down for other people, realizing that everything I get, every secret from Christ, from God is just one little piece and I need everybody else in the room because you guys have pieces. It actually, true true insight and revelation from God and true friendship actually draws us closer because we're going to need each other to see how these pieces work, if that makes sense. Amen? Yeah. I know that that last little part was a little strange, but if you live in the church long enough, you'll eventually go to some like prophetic conference and they'll try to tell you that, you know, some business, and I'm telling you, it's mostly garbage. That's as specific and as general as I know how to be on that topic. I'm trying to be specifically general. I'm trying to be compassionately brutal. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit I have, is compassionate brutality. Brutality. Well, I just hate that. I mean, if you've ever been around it, it's awful. And it ultimately will twist like real friendship with Jesus and the real prophetic spirit into something else. And people start manipulating each other. And like, it's just weird. It's just weird. And it gets ultimately it gets divorced from any kind of practicality. One of the ways that you know that you're walking with friendship in Jesus and that you're living a life with an ear to the Spirit and that you're living in the kingdom is if what you hear and what you're doing is ultimately practical. If there's some element of non-practicality and it gets super bizarre, strange get away from that garbage. It's enough to be a person. Okay, I'm doing damage at this point. I'm done. Lord, help us. Good Lord. Jesus. Where did that come from? Oh, man. Awesome. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Come on up. Come on down. You're on the prices, right? Why don't you guys stand up? I want to pray for you this morning. After I'm finished praying, if you need, if you're sick in your body and you need prayer, we want you to come up. If you're just at that spot in your life where you need somebody to stand with you, we want you to come up. If you need to just respond to the word that I've sort of preached this morning, (laughs) you come on up too. Father, thanks for your love this morning. Just thanks for your kindness. God, I ask that you would open up our eyes this morning that you not only love us, but you like us. And that our issues are not the issue until you say that it's the issue. Father, for everyone who feels like a pity project of Jesus, we ask that you would would simply break that off this morning. Father, I also ask that you would give every person in the room the ear of a disciple, God. The ear to the mouth of God. The ear that's hearing what the Father is saying because we've just become friends. God, for every person in the room who's chained by super serious religion, like super serious, like I'm just so serious, for everyone in the room who's grinding, Father, I ask that you would give them the light burden of friendship. God, for every person who is convinced that you love them and has has over the course of time become more and more solemn, I ask that you would give them the light burden of laughter that comes from just simply being your friend. And we ask it in your name. Kind Jesus, we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on up. If you don't need prayer, then you need to give somebody a high five and a hug. The Mass is ended. Go in peace.